We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The names behind the numbers. The stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats Podcast with John Little. You really need to be a good listener and be interested in people and work really hard. It's not, as you know, if you're in sports media, it's not a 40-hour-a-week, 9-to-5 job. But if you love it, it's what you're doing anyway. The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers. The Her Hoop Stats Podcast. Here's your host, John Little. Outstanding. It is great to have you here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast for another week. Welcome in. I'm John Little, your host. I'm a sports play-by-play broadcaster. That's my heart. That's my passion. I'm out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I also host an afternoon news show on 1080 KRLD in Dallas as well. Me and Susie Solis, who you hear at the front and the back of each and every podcast, uh, we do that from 3 to 7 every weekday afternoon. If you're ever in the DFW area, I invite you to tune in. Thanks so much for being here. Another great show coming up for you today as we are right in the thick of the WNBA playoffs. And just want to remind you that you can get this podcast so many different places, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or uh, Google Play. Also, Radio.com is another place you can find the podcast as well. And of course, if you have Apple Podcasts, just leave us a, a nice rating and a review. It really helps other people find the show, and I appreciate every one of you that has done that so far uh, as those ratings start to rack up now. And it amazes me as this show has gone on throughout the summer. We're still relatively in our infancy, but as you start to rack up shows between this podcast and the Unplugged podcast, we're in the upper 20s now. 
uh, it amazes me how many people are willing to come on this show and have a little bit of fun with us and talk with us. And I think a lot of it has to do with the job that Aaron Barzilai, uh, who is our founder at Her Hoop Stats, has done to spread the word about Her Hoop Stats, what we want to do, kind of spread the gospel, so to speak. So he's made a lot of contacts out there. But as we reach out, we're just getting so many yeses when we ask people to be on the show. Almost every time we're getting an enthusiastic yes, and it has been such a pleasure uh, to have the number of people and the number of significant people on the show uh, over the past few months. And we've got another significant one today. If you think about writers that have influenced women's basketball, that have covered it uh, from its relative infancy, covered it as long as they possibly could, as well as they possibly could, there is no doubt that Michelle Vopel is right there at the top of it from ESPNW. And we've got her on the show today, and I can't wait to bring this to you because she's just so gracious. And we talk about a lot of different things. Of course, the future of the WNBA, how she got started in writing, uh, what she says to young writers or young uh, people that want to cover the game these days. And then also kind of a special shout out to radio play-by-play people, which was completely unexpected for me. But very much appreciated because, like I've been telling you guys for months, that is my heart. That is what I love uh, doing. So I really appreciate uh, Michelle's shout-out and look forward to bringing that to you. But Michelle Vopel is our guest, one of the great writers in women's basketball. Here's our chat with Michelle. Oh, glad to do it. Right in the heart of the WNBA playoffs, there is nobody that knows women's basketball better. And to just get us started, how did you get started and how did you gain your passion uh, for writing specifically about the the game of women's basketball and and women's sports in general? When I was at the University of Missouri, uh, I was a freshman there in the fall of 1983, so a long long time ago. And uh, the very first game that I went to that uh, the Mizzou women played was against Southern Cal uh, when they were the defending national champions. So I got to see Cheryl Miller in person uh, play at the Hearn Center at Mizzou. And uh, Missouri actually played really well in that game. And and, uh, Cheryl Miller blocked a shot at the end that won it for Southern Cal. I had always been a huge sports fan and uh, had been a a big uh, fan of high school girls basketball, which is what I saw a lot. Um, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't, I didn't actually, uh, I wasn't a player. I was a terrible athlete, but I went to every game and I would write my own like little stories about, um, my sister's team. And so I didn't know then that I was like training to be a sports writer. I just liked to do it. And I kept stats for the games and, uh, what do you know that that turned out to, to be my career? Um, but I think I was really lucky, also from the standpoint of, um, you know, going to Missouri. I'm from near St. Louis, and they have a great journalism school there. So, in some ways, the combination of passion and and good fortune of being close to a school like that. It seems like you were destined at this point, doesn't it? What do you tell? Uh, aspiring writers then give us your uh, little two minute uh, elevator uh, chat here what what do you tell aspiring writers when they when they ask you about what it takes to make it these days you have to be really passionate you have to be really interested in other people i think that's one of the biggest keys to being a writer is i just i'm fascinated by other people really curious about them and what makes them beyond just why they're good at basketball what sort of people they are and that the case in any sport 
One thing I would say, though, is it's tougher now. The, the, the media environment is more difficult now in some ways than it was when I was growing up because, um, you know, newspapers have struggled so much with uh, the advent of the Internet. So you sometimes make your way a, a different path now, and, and that can be a little challenging. But I think the thing that stays the same is you really need to uh, be a good listener and be interested in people and work really hard. And uh, it's not, as you know, if you're in sports media, it's not a 40 hour week, <laughs> nine to five job. That's just not what it is. But if you love it, it's what you're doing anyway, right? Even if, even when you're not working, you're working. So um, that's, I feel like I've been really lucky to have a career that is basically my, my greatest love. Uh, absolutely. You're right about that. And that kind of ties into my next question is, are you happy you came up at the time you did and you've gotten to kind of grow through this or you you established yourself obviously before this explosion of the internet and this explosion of uh, i don't know uh, whatever we're going through right now of all the information and all the clutter that it takes for a young writer or young media member to get through these days absolutely i feel really fortunate about that and sometimes you know it, you, you do have to say i i had um i had a, a good fortune in terms of you know my age and what the media landscape looked like i also though tell people you know when when we were coming up when i first started i was writing a typewriter we had no internet and if you wanted to get stats and facts you know you were making a lot of calls i started like a lot of young writers do i i covered high schools so i'd be in press boxes and you know, freezing temperatures, covering football games and keeping all the stats and then trying to find a phone. <laughs> I was telling somebody the other day about finding a phone outside of 7-Eleven, um, you know, just to send my story from, you know, when I was a really young reporter. And I think the young folks now are like, wow, that sounds really weird to them. So we did have to do some different things and work hard in different ways. But um but you're right in terms of what the path was like. I feel like it was laid out more more direct. Like we knew what it was supposed to look like, and if you worked hard, you'd you'd have a job at a newspaper. And that that's been tougher now because so many of those jobs have gone away. The other thing that I think I'm really fortunate about is I'm 54 years old, so all of basically the modern era of women's college basketball has happened in my lifetime. The very first real women's national tournament was 1969. I don't quite remember that. I was four, but I definitely do remember the seventies and the, you know, Immaculata teams. I would read about them in the newspaper. Um, the very first um, NCAA women's championship in 1982, which happened i can remember the exact date because it was my birthday march 28th 1982 and kim mulkey and um louisiana tech won that and wow. i can just remember remember everybody talks about it kim had the braids and you know she was you know five foot four but she was just a powerful force out there on the court and um i feel lucky from that standpoint in that I didn't get a chance to see some of the players in person like uh, an Ann Myers, for instance, but I knew of her. Like, I would read in the paper like when she got drafted by the Pacers. So I knew, you know, what type of player she was or a Nancy Lieberman or or even, a, you know, a Lynette Woodard. I, I knew their names uh but then I was able to see, starting from the early 80s, see in person a lot of the, the very best players in the game. So in that way, I feel really lucky in that all of that has happened in my lifetime. So it really helps 
put things in perspective for me about how how much the game has grown. At what point did you know that it was kind of your mission? And I want to ask this question in the right way, but it, it's your mission to not only write about this stuff, but also uh, to further women and lift up women in in the in the best way possible and and shine a light on this. Uh, what was that like for you early on? Was there a moment that it, it, it turned on for you or has it just been kind of natural throughout this whole progression for you? You know, that's interesting. I don't know that there would be one moment, but I could tell you about when I was in, in college, um, the Missouri women were a good team then. Uh, they're a player named Amy Davis, who was our all-time leading scorer up until this year when Sophie Cunningham finally broke her record. Um, but that, that record, she broke it uh, in February of 1985 at Kansas State. And I went to that game with um, a photographer who was also at Mizzou, Jeff Roberson, who's still a really terrific photographer for the Associated Press. And here we were, two college kids, didn't have much money, um, but had enough money, saved enough money for gas, and drove all the way to Manhattan from Columbia didn't have enough money for a hotel. So we drove all the way for the game and then drove all the way back, you know, and got back and in time to like go to school <laughs> in the morning. And I remember thinking then, you know, this is what I care about. I really want people to know that Joni Davis is a great player. And I would, I had the chance to write about her. And I think even then I thought if I can get a chance to do this, just get a, the opportunity to tell people, how great these players are and how much fun it is to watch them. That would be a wonderful career. Uh, that's not the only thing I've done because I was an editor for many years and I covered a lot of other sports, but all through that I've covered women's basketball. So there's never been a time when I wasn't doing women's basketball. Um, and, and so in that, I've, I feel like I really got fortunate too. And I'll say one other thing was lucky uh, in timing is I moved to Kansas City to work for the Kansas City Star in 1996. That was the very year that ESPN was starting its women's basketball column online. And ESPN and the Kansas City Star at that time were owned by the same company, Cap Cities. So I was able to work for ESPN even though I was at the Kansas City Star. That is just really good fortune, you know, that that happened then. And, uh, so now, you know, here I am uh, 23 years later and have had that opportunity. So I've been really, really lucky. Um, but it's it, the passion. I just it's 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 always been there. I mean, I think it's been there. I feel like it's been there ever since I was a little kid to tell stories. And then I just got a, a chance to do it about a subject that I really loved. That is awesome. Just beautiful. Michelle Vopel is our guest uh, from ESPNW. And uh, I want to ask you about the WNBA next, because you've been there, as you mentioned, uh, in, in every stage all along the way from its infancy to uh, now it's college years, I guess, with it being 23 years old, or maybe it's in grad school. I'm not sure. <laughs> but we've been told a lot over the years that, yeah, this is a this is a tipping point. How does this feel different or uh, similar to any of the other key times along the way with uh, a new commissioner coming in, with Kathy coming in, and then 
also with the CBA and needing to figure that out by the start of next season. What is your feeling right now about where the W stands? You know, I think what you, what you just said about now it's sort of a, of a college student, I think that's very insightful because that's that's almost how I've thought of it, that it started, it was a baby, and then it was, you know, it was a, a toddler, and then in elementary school, and then high school, and there's growing pains for a person, you know, to, to the as you're growing up, you you get a little smarter and you get a, a little bit you you advance as as you get older, and I think the leagues it's been the same thing. I try to be realistic about it. It's still a, a league that is trying to break through in terms of more public consciousness. I think most people who follow sports, you know, who are, are you know really enjoy sports, have an idea about the WNBA. But the general public is still hasn't caught on as much as you may have hoped they would catch on. Will that happen? I do think it will happen, but I think it's a I do think it's a it's a long process. It's a process that's taken longer than probably everybody wanted it to. But I'm not discouraged about that. I just think that's part of life, you know, and, and it's what women's sports in particular have always had to do. They've had to fight a little harder. They've had to work a little harder, maybe a lot harder. Uh, for the acceptance. You mentioned uh, Kathy Engelbert being a commissioner, which was something I really was in favor of, that her title would change. may sound like a small thing, but before it's been WNBA president, and I thought that role needs to be commissioner. There needs to be more of of an idea that whoever's in charge of the WNBA is really in charge. Um, Adam Silver's been, I think, great in terms of support and David Stern before him, because obviously David was the person who launched the WNBA. But the league has needed a really strong person in charge of it specifically. The CBA, there may be some things that are going to be contentious about it, but I don't know that that has to be bad either. I mean, if we look at all our other, you know, pro sports, our major pro sports here in this country, all along the way, there has been some contentious times and there's even been work stoppage although god forbid honestly that i do not want to see in the wmba but it, there has been you know labor strife and it's advanced the sport in in all cases uh even though it's been tough when we lost seasons like losing you know the baseball season or the most of the baseball season back in 1994 or hockey seasons or you know games we've lost in the nba so you don't want to see that, but I do think that there's some level of negotiation that sometimes is going to get a little tough. But in the end, I think both sides really do understand that they want this next CBA to to be better for the players and in specific ways. Um, travel would be one of them. Um, some of the compensation they can make in the quote-unquote offseason uh, would be one. And the the whole thing is to try to build this – I think so it expands more. I think that that's ultimately what I'd like to see, you know, in my career that would still happen, that we would get up to, I'd love to see them get back to 16 teams, which they were at one point. And I think that would help too. in, in terms of having a little bit more, you know, national footprint, if there were, if there were more teams. So uh, it's a long answer, but I, I don't feel like there is a short answer in terms of where the league is because there's so many elements to sort of discuss about it but i you know i I still feel bullish on it that it's it's still around 
more and more people get interested. Um, there's better coverage of it now. And I think that's something that's going to continue, you know, certainly long past, you know, my career. And, and that'll be, a, you know, a terrific thing. That's what we're here for. Long, insightful answers. So we're all about that. That's uh, please don't apologize for that, Michelle. Now, you brought it up right there at the end. The coverage of the WNBA is growing in volume, um, it, I, specifically the, the media coverage, the things that you and I are, are involved in. And what is your general feeling about where we are in media coverage and where you would like to see it go? Uh, obviously, it's gotten better, but where, we, where, where can it go? One of the things you'd like to see is more people be able to make a living doing it. I think there's so many people now who, who do, I think, wonderful work, but it's it's a sort of a secondary job or even just sort of a labor of love. So that would be a good thing to have, have an opportunity for more people to, to do it full time. Uh, it's, it's amazing to me how good the work is by a lot of folks who don't do it full time. And, and I didn't do it full time either for a long time. So I, I, I understand that what that struggle is like when you're balancing other sports or even, another job that has, you know, isn't even a a sports media job, but, um, it's one thing we've really seen in the past few years that I think is terrific is sort of a, a breadth of different sorts of coverage and a lot of people that come at it from really different angles, including obviously the analytics angle, which is great to see that, that we have a lot more of that and, um, her hoop stats, that's, what they excel at you know they're so good at at that and that the stats that they'll come up with that you're like boy i want to explain this what's the best way to do it and it's okay this this analytic is is going to help me do that so i really enjoy that um i think the diversity of coverage has has gotten better because that's ultimately you want to have a lot of different voices from a lot of different backgrounds covering the sport so i feel good about that like i said i just We'd like to see um, more people probably have an opportunity to to do that full time. And hopefully that that will come too over time. But, you know, I think the people who do it do it because they love to do it, which is, you know, why I got into it. We're visiting with Michelle Vopel, and she has been there from the beginning in the WNBA and really for and I, I know uh, NCAA basketball, of course, too. But I'm trying to in especially at this point in the season, we're in the thick of the playoffs, want to really give it uh, its due for as long as we can before uh, the page does turn to the college season. I want to know about your your favorite moments. Is there any moment that sticks out for you in covering these games over the years that encapsulates your 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 love for this league? There are quite a few. Uh, one that always comes to mind was the very first WNBA championship game. As you know, that first year in 97, they didn't have series. There were the eight teams, and they just had a, a semifinal and, and the final that were single games. And the championship game was New York and Houston. It was um, down at Houston was was the championship game. And I had seen Cynthia Cooper play in college when she was at USC, but then the rest of her career, other than when she was with the national team, the U.S. national team, was over in Italy. So when she came to the WNBA in 1997, what a revelation it was. Here she was at age 34, 
and which was best in the world. It was sort of sad, though, thinking, gosh, we've missed this. You know, all these years that she's been over there, you know, honing her craft in Italy, we didn't see it. So the Comets won, and there's confetti coming down. And I look up, and Coop is standing, like, on the, uh, you know, basically on press row. She mm-hmm. gets up on press row, and she's raising the roof. That was her. And I remember kind of, like, getting a little choked up. Because I thought, it's so nice that she's finally getting this here in her her home country. Because if the WNBA hadn't come along, we never really would have known what a great player she was. That moment will stay with me forever. Just looking up at her and feeling like, it, almost seeing those 11 years that she was in Italy kind of flash in my mind. Like, she finally gets her due here in, in her home. I remember um, the Seattle Storm teams were a lot of fun to cover, uh, largely because I think Sue Bird's just one of the the great, <laughs> great people in the league, the, a, a great spokeswoman for the league, great point guard, a great leader. But when they played, when the Storm um, in 2004, they played Connecticut. And I just remember Key Arena, they had those thundersticks <laughs> and those things were so loud like I could not hear myself think in that game <laughs> but it was it was kind of a beautiful thing because it was just that loud I'll always remember you know that uh, in the WNBA and then you know another series that I thought was sort of a breakthrough was um, 2016 when the Spark and the Lynx played each other and it was that five game series they were the best teams in the league and the league had changed formats. So it wasn't uh, East West anymore, which I think was good for the WNBA. It's like best two teams, even if they are technically, you know, West teams. And that one comes down to Neka Gumwake, who was the MVP that season, getting a rebound on a shot and putting it back as she falls backward. And after that game, she's FaceTiming with her sister who's in China. And I was, you know, I was uh, back you know, behind uh, these curtains in uh, in um, Target Center, and NECA's got Shanae on her phone showing her the trophy. And that's another thing, you know, that I'll always remember, just because there was just so much emotion there between the sisters, and that was such a great series. I, I think a series that brought more fans to the game because it was so good. So I could probably go on much longer, but those are some of the biggest memories I have. Well, those are three absolutely wonderful ones. Uh, Michelle, when you're looking for a story in your process, how do you ensure that you are taking a unique approach and finding something or someone that is entirely deserving of that spotlight at that given time? You know, I wouldn't say everything I write is, is, um, you know, some of it is not like groundbreaking, but what I hope that it does is you know, help introduce a side of this athlete to to people. That's, you know, one thing I've always been really passionate about doing is if people read the stories that hopefully they get an idea who the person was. And I, I just got back from D.C. and had a chance to talk for quite a while the other day with uh, Emma Mieseman uh, for the Mystics, who is Belgian. She's just a delightful person, and she's so humble. It's almost it's ridiculous uh, how humble she is. She just scored 27 and 30 points uh, in the playoffs against a really against the best defense in the league. 
And, you know, I was in the locker room last night saying, you know, this is a pretty good performance tonight. And she says, well, you know, I, I hit my open shots. <laughs> and I thought, and, you know, actually, I think he did a little bit more than that. But you try to share that with an audience, you know, and, and some people are more uh, cocky in a good way. I mean, I love that, too. They're like, well, yeah, I made that shot. I'm, you know, I'm pretty good. And, and you like you like to sort of present the people as they are so that when you're watching, you're not just seeing, you know, number whatever. You're thinking of who that person is and maybe a funny thing they said or maybe an inspiring thing they said. I, I think that's kind of how I always look at it is that I want people to read my stories and, and other people's stories and hear podcasts and get a sense of who the people are because they are people who are playing sports. What other media do you consume to help prepare you uh, for doing your job? Are there any, is it uh, other articles, uh, the specific writers you like? Is it podcasts? What what helps you do your job better when, when you're consuming media? Well, I watch a lot of games, obviously, on, uh, um, with college, with all the ESPN games, but also, you know, the Fox Sports games and um, with uh, WNBA, the league pass this year, um, CBS uh, Sports has added more games and then um, our ESPN game. So that, that's really helpful. And then uh, I do think like the local writers are, are people that you you can get a lot from. And I, I really want to give them a shout out. And I would even say that's been the case throughout the history of women's basketball. You know, I, I always think they're sort of the the heroes of the sport, you know, the, the beat writers who were covering Louisiana tech back in the seventies. I mean, those folks, um, they're around their teams all the time. So they tend to know quite a lot about them. I always say in college basketball, the radio, I always call it the radio guys. And sometimes I was the, the women too. Um, the radio folks always know, boy, they know everything. Um, that they're very, very plugged in. And so it's helpful to, to talk to them about their teams. Uh, social media, you know, I think there's so much shared now from the athletes themselves that um, that you watch that. Um, and then, there, you know, there's just different – I'll be honest, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts. Um, uh, maybe I should. I just – I don't tend to listen to a lot. Um, but – you know, I do at times listen to to podcasts, especially if it's a specific topic, um, you know, that I'm interested in. And then just um, conversations, you know, just, you know, talking with people and, and people are so, I think, nice about that. You know, when you when you go to you're a national person and you go on the road and, you know, you, you just get a chance to, you know, have conversations with, you know, writers and just seeing what you know, what they, what they see. And, and it is nice because for a long time, I mean, a long time, I just felt you kind of felt like there wasn't that many people to talk to about it, you know, about women's basketball. And, um, you know, so th that's changed now. I think there's a lot more people, um, you know, that you can chat to chat with about it. Uh, and of course the coaches, you know, coaches are a wealth of information and um, they know their teams better than anybody. And uh, having a chance to whenever you have a chance to just sit down and even if it's not a formal interview, but you just have a chance to, to chat with coaches about their teams, you, you learn a lot. 
I love the shout out for the radio folks. I appreciate that a lot. That means a lot to me uh, in particular. But uh, that's something I'd, I I want to see more in the in the WNBA getting back to having those local uh, mm-hmm. radio people around because it, it really does help. And um, and I think Sloan did a wonderful job up in Minnesota this year. And uh, yes, it, it's just it's great to have people like that. They are plugged in. I, I agree with you completely. The, you know, when I say they're, when I just say that, when I say they're the heroes, and and I and I really mean this because there's so many. I don't. I almost don't want to say names because I'm I'm afraid I'm going to forget some people. But a lot of them were men, and they were the guys when I was growing up in the business. There were a lot of, again, there are a lot of men, obviously writers, who didn't want anything to do with women's basketball. But it was always radio guys who cared, you know, and and who didn't treat it any different. They were like, look, this is I'm I'm covering a game, and that just I've, I've always felt so much like they deserve I almost feel like they deserve a special place in the women's basketball hall of fame the the radio broadcasters of women's basketball because i feel like they were the media who were carrying this sport and caring about the sport and just treating it like a sport you know not acting like oh this is beneath me or something or this is a waste of my time had the enthusiasm and the passion and brought their professionalism to it um i think that made a big difference and you know again there's so many of those folks um over the years that i i just feel like were um were instrumental and and they're the voices you think of and their fans think of you know when there weren't any games on tv that was the case when i was at missouri you know if i if it was a road game i had to listen on the radio um and it was those guys that made those trips and you know treated it like it mattered that I think I don't know if they realize how big a heroes they were in this but they were Uh, I I think that's really cool that you point that out so thank you so much do you still live in the Kansas City area I do Overland Park Um, I've lived here since 1996 outstanding what what has kept you there obviously we know what drew you there but but what has kept you there especially as your role expanded at ESPN and you could, you know, pretty much live wherever and, and do what you do, right? There's probably some inertia, <laughs> you know, like moving is hard. Um, I think that's, that's part of it. I'm, I am a Midwesterner. I grew up in North of St. Louis and I've lived other places. I've lived in Tennessee for a while. I lived in um, Newport News, Virginia, which actually was a really crucial place for my career. Cause I got to see the Don Staley teams at Virginia. And I think that was really a, a great thing but um but i think it's part of that uh that i i just um you know the, the salmon sometimes wants they want to be in their own stream right and and i i'm a midwesterner so i think that's part of it uh it's also really kansas city in in some ways it's it's i i, I desperately wish we had a WNBA team here that that would be wonderful we don't have that but when the when you know when the conferences split, my first thought was, oh, this is terrible. You know, I mean, I, I don't like the conferences splitting. Missouri and Kansas not being in the same conference doesn't make any sense, and Maryland being in the Big Ten doesn't make any sense, and all that. And so my first, you know, when that happened was, oh, this is negative. But I have to say, it's turned out for the best in a lot of ways because now being in Kansas City, I'm half an hour, you know, from the from Big 12 school in Kansas, three hours from a Big 10 school in Nebraska, two and a half at, well, two hours and 20 minutes from an SEC school in Missouri. So 
that actually helps because you, you, you know, get to see as teams come through, um, you get to see a lot of the major conferences with drives that to me aren't a big deal. You know, those are, those are drives you can make. And I even drive back the same night. So that's been a, a nice thing about staying in, in Kansas city. Um, but boy, yeah, it'd be nice. I, I can dream, I guess that, <laughs> that to, to have a WNBA team here, I don't know if that'll ever happen, but that would be, that would be perfect. It would certainly bridge the gap between DFW and, and Chicago for sure. <laughs> and then, you know, Minnesota as well. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it would uh, it would help out a lot. Uh, so, uh, hey, I'm right there with you. That sounds good. Yeah. An expansion point. Uh, we're, we're all about that. Um, uh, but when you do get out to WNBA City specifically, what mm-hmm. what are your favorite WNBA cities to go to? And what are your favorite spots to go to when you're there? I enjoy the part of the travel that's going, you know, it's being in a different place. I I really do like that. The fan bases are a little different just based on the parts of the country. You know, the L.A. fan base versus the Dallas fan base versus the Seattle fan base. They all have their own personalities. Um, So that part is, is really cool. I used to love to go to Madison Square Garden for the Liberty. So it's been kind of a bummer, you know, that they moved out of there. That There was a wonderful energy at MSG. You'd like to see that come back. This new, uh, there's a new arena for the Mystics, which is pretty small, but it, it fits them pretty well. I mean, it fits them better than um, the, uh, used to be called the Verizon Center, is now the Capital One Center. So, um I probably sound wishy-washy because I'm not picking a favorite, but I don't know that I have one place that I like to go more than any other. Um, I I like to experience how different and the same it is in in places like like Vegas. I think Vegas is a new um, Vegas is it has a it's Vegas. You know, it has that those elements of what Las Vegas is like, um, and that's exciting in a way and. Um, you know, so I really do. You know, the biggest thing is just getting a chance to see teams in person, and being at games is always energizing. I would say. Oh, there's no doubt about the energy, but I probably put you in an awkward spot there, so I apologize. But I can <laughs> appreciate what you're saying that uh, you know that each and every place brings its different flavor, and you can appreciate different things about each place. So, thumbs up to that diplomatic answer but completely (laughs) legitimate in its own right i love it well michelle thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it i love what you've done for women's basketball and uh from from all of us at her hoop stats specifically i can say we we really appreciate your support and uh and what you've done to to further the game you've paved the way for sure well i really appreciate that and i i really want to thank all the people who are doing you know who are expanding coverage and who are seeing the game in through different lenses because i think that's what makes it grow both the analytics and and just the ability to you know to look at the game in different ways and make people think about it in different ways is something that her stats is doing and it's a it's definitely a a huge service to the game so I, i appreciate that very much that is the outstanding Michelle Vopel from ESPNW here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. So appreciate her time and just how much she loves the game and has a passion for spreading it. And it's just contagious. And she has used her influence and her 30 plus years of experience to help spread the word about women's basketball. And so we salute her in every way we possibly can. 
Can't wait to talk to you next week. Of course, by then, we will know who is in the WNBA Finals. Make sure to catch some of our previous podcasts, even back to the start of the year. We talked to some of the Dallas Wings early in the year. We talked to Tisha Pinichero, a great agent, one of the all-time great point guards in this league in episode number one. Several of the coaches along the way. Uh, Kurt Miller, the Connecticut Sun head coach, uh, was our guest earlier on in this uh, summer as well. So there are a lot of previous podcast. If you're new to the show, please check them out. I know you're going to get a lot out of them. And once more, just leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We always appreciate it. And if you don't have Apple Podcasts, just send us a note. Podcast at HerHoopStats.com. Podcast at HerHoopStats.com is our email. We want to hear from you. Aaron Barzilai is the executive producer of the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Also appreciate Susie Solis, our announcer, and our music by Jared Deck. Check him out at JaredDeckMusic.com. There's plenty more great music where this comes from. And I'm your host, John Little. At the Her Hoop Stats podcast, we are unlocking better insights about the women's game. Her Hoop Stats. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.